Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week is a huge episode for me. We are talking to Robin Campbell, guitarist and founding member of the great UB40. Now, I don't know if you guys know this or not. Last year, UB40 celebrated their 40th anniversary. And the tour is going so well that they're back out on tour, now still celebrating the 40th anniversary in what is actually their 41st year. And they also put out a new album this year called For The Many that is fantastic. I don't know if you, let's say you were a casual or a deeper UB40 fan in the 80s and maybe stopped paying attention in the 90s when the sound got a little smoother, a little softer. This album is an absolute return to form, return to those early days as it was meant to be. We talk about that in here. So the band is currently on tour if you want to check them out. Now, unfortunately, there is, as is so often the case, there is some drama in here. Former lead singer Allie Campbell, Robin's brother, uh, left the band about 11 or 12 years ago to kind of focus more on a solo career, but it's just, it's caused a lot of problems. He is out there with a couple other former members of UB40, including Astro, the toaster that you know from Red Red Wine. They are out there touring as UB40 as well. And uh, it's causing some issues. Replacing Allie Campbell in this version of UB40 is a third brother named Duncan Campbell. And so most of the guys from the original UB40 are in this current version with Robin, with Duncan, that have put out For The Many. It can be a little confusing, but anyway, I love this band. And we go deep on a lot of their stuff, some of the highlights of their career. Robin's fully aware of what things were happening in the 90s that some people liked, some people didn't. Maybe some of the diehard fans kind of fell away. I wanted to bookend this conversation with my very two favorite UB40 songs. This one right here is called Almost There, and it's from their album Guns in the Ghetto that came in out in, I think, 96, I want to say. We, I know we have a lot of Level 42 fans that listen to us. Tell me if this song doesn't remind you a little bit of Level 42. And we're going to play out the episode with what I think is their masterpiece. We talk about it in here, so I'll save it. Anyway, this is a very deep, wide-ranging conversation with Robin. We touch on a little bit of everything. He called me from the road, and you'll find out here in the beginning where he thinks he is. Where are you today, by the way? I'm not even sure. Somewhere in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Oh, that's great. Uh, Where do you live? Where are you, you know, located permanently? I live just outside of Birmingham in England. Do you? Okay. Along along with everybody else in the band. That's what I figured. Okay. Yeah. You guys are on this 40th anniversary tour. I guess now it's 41 years, but... That's it, right? I mean, we're last year, 2018, would have been the 40th anniversary of the formation of UB40, and you guys are out there kind of celebrating this, right? Yeah, we've started the celebration last year in uh, June, I think, was the first show we did, because uh, we were we were in the studio working on the latest album up to that point. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we started our celebration June of last year with uh, a show at the Albert Hall in London, and really, we've been <laughs> celebrating ever yeah. since. Yeah. We've 
One one long party. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's one of those kind of farewell, not a farewell tour, but this anniversary tour that may last till the forty fifth anniversary. Who knows? You know. <laughs> yeah. What is the current plan? You're you're obviously on the East Coast somewhere. I, I think you guys have a set of dates in the U.S. right now, but then where are you off to? How long is this going to last? Well, I think we're we're doing uh, forty dates in America at the yes. moment. So, uh, yeah, we're here until uh, the end of September. Okay. Uh, we've been here three weeks. I think we've got another six weeks to go. So, uh, yeah, Excellent. when we then we then we go home. Um, uh-huh. But there are, you know, there are other tours, other dates sure. in the in the offing. In fact, we were just talking with our um, our promotional company. Um, about signing for another three years of, of touring <laughs> guaranteed. Nice. Well, so, you a... know, it's, 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 it's what we love doing. We're, yeah. we're not looking to stop at any, uh, not anytime soon anyway. Right. Um, and let's be honest, that's where the money is these days. You, you got to do that, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we've always been a touring band, mm-hmm. you know, that's, it's always what we've done. But now, uh, if, if you want to have a living at this thing, then you've got a tour now. It's, yeah. uh, it, records aren't a way of making money anymore. It's not an income stream that it used to be. That's especially, right. Especially uh, back catalogs, you know, they yeah. just, they've, they've disappeared really. Yeah. Um, I've seen you guys three times. Uh, once was a couple of years ago with the Alley version, but I, um, I, I remember, I'll never forget it, 1988, the fall of 1988, at Fiddler's Green Amphitheater in Denver, Colorado, and um, I went with a I, yeah. went, I went with a friend of mine. You guys were promoting the self-titled album, and mm-hmm. you did something I've never seen done before. At least it hadn't occurred to me until that point. I would have been 15 years old, and we're all sitting there waiting for the show to start. The day it's still daylight for a little bit longer, and suddenly um, the opening track, "Dance with the Devil," starts playing. Nothing's happening. It's just playing. And uh, so it feels like it's background, like the lead up music, you know, that music that gets played before the band takes the stage. And everyone's just kind of talking like they would. And then suddenly the curtain opens and you realize you guys have been back there playing this song that was kind of taking everyone by shock. It's like the, the show's starting. This is real. I thought this was being piped in through the, you know, through the speakers or whatever. It was, I've never seen anything like that. I don't know if that's crazy or not, but it really struck me at that moment. What a wild yeah. move that was. You know what well, I mean? That, that was a deliberate thing. We we did have Dance with the Devil actually as an intro mm-hmm. track. Uh, so when it first started playing, 
that was recorded. Yeah. But then we start playing with the recording <laughs> and that slowly fades down uh-huh. and so- suddenly the band are playing, which was, uh, that was just the way we intro the, the set that year, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we tend to use intro tapes anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we like doing that so that we're, you know, we're coming on in the same way every night. Right. Um, and yeah, we, we did that for that tour. But uh, we've since used several different sure. intros, and they're usually um, uh, self-made things mm-hmm. that are, you know, sort of uh, amalgamations of various tracks. Right. Of our, you know, and yeah, we're still doing that now. Yeah, yeah, that really blew my mind. I hadn't seen that before. You we're all listening to the music. Oh, this sounds great. This sounds like UB40 carrying on, not realizing <laughs> you're behind the curtain playing this as we're all sitting there. Anyway, it was yeah. a really cool moment. Um, let's talk about new music for the many is a new, I don't know, you know, I don't know what people's relationship is to UB40 these days. I know they, they know that you had hits. They probably, maybe I'm sure your diehard fans know every single note that ever comes out of you, but I don't know if casual music fans realize that there is a brand new, excellent UB40 album out there called for the many that just came out this year. Yeah, I'm sure there are many casual fans that aren't aware of it just because we don't get the same kind of exposure that we used to. Yeah. We, we don't get the airplay that we used to on the radio anymore. We get, you know, the, the classic UB40 tracks like Red Red Wine, etc., still get played on the radio. But uh, our new stuff, we struggle getting, getting yeah. that kind of exposure now. Um, so I'm sure that there are great swathes of casual fans right. No idea that we have uh, new material out, and of course you're right. The hardcore fans do know, yeah. and you know, I mean, they're 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 usually queuing up, waiting for it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, it's much harder to to let people know you've got stuff out now, which is why we're here doing forty shows. Exactly, and I was really really impressed with the new album because it felt like, and we'll get more into this as we kind of cover different chapters of your career, but. Um, it felt like it had some bite to it. You know, I think in the 90s, UB40 sound got a little glossy, you know, a little almost adult contemporary. And there was a lot of success that came from that change. But the bite of the early political band wasn't necessarily there anymore. And I but I feel like this new album goes back to that. You know what I mean? Oh, you can come again. That's exactly what I was hoping to hear you say. Oh, good. 
It's exactly what lots of people are saying. Uh, friends and fans that we played the record to before we released it were all saying that it sounded like a throwback album, you know, mm -hmm. it's, which was exactly what we intended to do. Good. Uh, we wanted to sound like it could have been the third or fourth album uh, of our careers, you know, uh, made in the early 80s. Um, we wanted it to, to be dubby, you know, mm -hmm. to go back to having the dub passages in the tracks themselves uh hev heavier political bite for sure mm -hmm. uh, but we've we've never stopped having political bites i just oh. think that uh, the success the commercial success hasn't always been with those songs you know yeah. uh, it's usually the more lightweight um you know the love songs that mm -hmm. have the commercial success so those are the songs that people know and i've heard that criticism many times that we lost our political mm. way or our political bite you know mm -hmm. uh, but i would dispute that if 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 you were to listen to um our albums throughout the decades mm -hmm. uh, and in, including the 90s there were still plenty of uh political lyrics it's mm -hmm. just that they didn't get the same kind of exposure as they did in in the 80s you know you're right um, one of my very, well, I'll be, I have every UB40 album and my third favorite, I've got it in lists and everything, Robin. My third favorite UB40 album is Guns in the Ghetto. is such a now that it is um it is kind of glossy but it's but it's beautiful it's a very chilled out sort of a sensual album but it's touching on some of the political things like you mentioned like the guns in the ghetto literally yeah. you know yeah. and you're right i feel like that side of your of your career is getting kind of pushed down in favor of more of the you know the big adult contemporary hits or whatever it might be you know yeah and, and the specific albums the labor of love series of albums that we did <clears throat> excuse me that included uh, you know red red wine mm -hmm. um those were the most commercial albums mm -hmm. and the most commercially successful albums um and they were albums predominantly of love songs yeah. so uh you know when when we had the success that we had with those albums um, people did tend to think that uh, that we weren't, you know, writing political songs anymore. Mm -hmm. But those weren't our songs; they were covers. Uh, but there were only there were only four albums. You know, we've done four albums of covers, mm -hmm. as, as opposed to uh, I think seventeen other albums. You know, yeah. 
But obviously, the, the commercially successful ones, or the most commercially successful ones, are the ones that people remember, you know, yeah. and people, people judge you on, you know. Yeah. I was, you know, I was going to ask you about that a little later, but we may as well do it now because it's, it's here now. But having so much success with covers has to be sort of a, a good and a bad thing. I mean, you know, I can't help falling in love with you is number one everywhere, but you didn't write that song. So you get to enjoy the spoils of the success of that song. But are there ever, you know, I mean, what's the financial impact? You know what I'm saying? I mean, one of the things we try to touch on here very sensitively is the business side of this. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. songs like that one or Red Red Wine or whatever, um, you know, a lot of those royalties go somewhere else. So it's unfortunate, well, you know. All the royalties, all yeah. of the royalties go elsewhere you know we uh, when we cover someone's song we, we don't <clears throat> we don't take any share of of their rights you know yeah, it, yeah. Uh, it's their song they wrote it they get the royalties uh, so yeah we're uh, when we do covers we're earning half of what we would earn for mm. um original material yeah but uh, you know if if you're enjoying the success of someone else's song, then they should earn <laughs> they sure. should earn at least what you're earning. Right, right. Do you, um, you know, I didn't even think to ask this until just now, but I'm wondering, considering how many, uh, you know, lesser known, maybe even obscure reggae artists you tend to cover on the Labor of Love series, have you ever had a, a reggae artist who may have been financially strapped see a new get a new lease on life thanks to the success that you brought one of their songs all of them really without a doubt yeah uh i think that's possibly one of one of the major reasons that we're uh we're held in such high esteem in mm. jamaica is mm. because uh of those covers you the jamaican artists that never earned a penny yeah when they first recorded those songs they signed away the rights. I mean, we've been told by many of those musicians uh, that we've covered that uh, that they earned fifty dollars when oh they made gosh. that original record. No. Um, John Holt told me uh, he's the man who uh, we covered. Um, Mad Next Door on Labor of Love Four. That's one we, of my favorites. Yeah. Well, we've we've done I don't know four or five John Holt yeah. songs since but the first one that we did that he was so happy about was where you to the ball song that he did with uh, Uroy yeah. and and was a number one in Jamaica 
Um, and obviously, when we were kids, we knew the song and loved it and always wanted to do a cover of it. Um, but when I met him for the first time, he said to me that the first proper check he ever received uh, from his publishers was when we recorded Were You to the Ball? Right. And he was in the middle of a court case with uh, Blondie's record company, uh, whoever they were signed to. He was in the middle of a court case in America, in Florida, uh, because he'd never been paid for the song that they covered, which was The Tide Is High. Yeah, really? Uh, that he song was huge. He never made money off he, that. And he wrote that song and he hadn't received a penny at oh. up to that point. Uh, I, I think he did eventually get paid for, for that. But um, I think the money that he earned out of us enabled him to then take them to court. Yeah. For, for uh, The Tide Is High. And yeah, he actually got paid for that. And many, many artists have told us that the first time they ever got a proper royalty check was when we recorded one of their songs. Kendrick Patrick, who wrote uh, Kingston Town, mm -hmm. known, he's known as Lord Creator. Um, he, he wrote Kingston Town, which was a very successful song for us. family at least three generations uh, possibly four of uh, his family to meet us in Jamaica when we played Sunsplash and um, he was he was tearful really he was he just brought all his family to say thank you yeah. because uh, when he received his first royalty check from our recording um, he was in hospital having just had an operation was unable to pay his bill um, and was in deep financial straits. And he not only paid his hospital bill, but uh, he built a house. <laughs> really? Oh, good for yeah. him. Yeah. So, you know, that when you hear things like that, you know, it's, uh, it just makes you feel fantastic that That's you can make excellent. that much difference to somebody, especially people who we idolized as yeah. kids, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's just fantastic that you could make that much difference. But for people who spent their entire careers being ripped off. Yeah. Yeah. Especially those uh, reggae artists. You know, there's no reliable music business infrastructure happening in Jamaica that's adequately paying those people back. You know, there's well, not. The only, the only business structure is actually looking after the, the label owners and the producers. Yeah. yeah. Artists were getting. Um, in the 60s and 70s, they were getting one-off payments and yeah. signing away the rights so that when publishing 
uh, went to anybody from publishing uh, companies. It went to the producers, mm. uh, you know, the owners of the record labels, and certainly not uh, to the original artist. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a shame. Well, good for you. You've been doing, you know, the Lord's work in a way all this time. <laughs> um, let's talk about, you know, going back to the beginning. If we're talking about a 40th anniversary here and you mentioning when you were kids loving reggae, what I'm just I'm trying to imagine. Now, I understand to some degree what was influencing the two tone guys, you know, like they're it's this mixture of black and white coming together, you know, mods and rockers whatever it might be but i i don't know what are little white little british boys uh, listening where are they finding the reggae that's making them think we could do that we could start a world famous reggae band that just seems so incongruous <laughs> you know well it's uh it's pretty much the same thing as the two-tone movement really? it's just it's just that uh we're a little bit older mm. than than them so we weren't reviving they were reviving the ska music which was the the forerunner of reggae uh so they were part of a revival movement yeah. uh, mixing their new music with ska from the 60s mm -hmm. um but we were we were never part of that we were kind of dragged along on its shirt tails but we never wanted to be a ska band all we ever wanted to be was a reggae band which is the music that came out of ska it's mm -hmm. the music that, that ska developed into um and it's the pop music of jamaica yeah. and if you if you knew where we came from then you would understand completely really that uh well where we grew up was not a segregated area you know yeah. uh, it's much more segregated now those areas are now, well, I guess you would say they're black areas now mm -hmm. because um, the white people have moved out. Yeah. But when I was a kid, it was completely mixed. You know, we had an Irish family living underneath us. We had a, a Jamaican family on our right-hand side and we had an Indian family on our left-hand side. Uh, and that was pretty normal mm -hmm. for, for us. You know, if you grabbed eight kids off the streets where we lived, they'd be mm -hmm. the same kind of mixture that we were, mm -hmm. which is pretty much every country yeah. you could think of, you know? Yeah. Uh, it was a very multiracial, multicultural uh, area, and we were turned on to Jamaican pop music even before reggae existed, you know, when it was ska yeah. um, in the 60s as kids. We were listening to it and, and hearing it in uh, the pubs, the clubs, the coffee bars, the uh, yeah. the youth clubs that we were first going to, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. we heard we heard this music. And when it turned into reggae from Scar in the sort of uh, the summer of 67, mm. um, I was a very young teenager. Um, the others were... Uh, a bit younger than that. So mm -hmm. for them, they didn't hear the crossover from Scar into reggae. They mm -hmm. just grew up on reggae, you know. Mm -hmm. My two younger brothers uh, were fed a diet of reggae from the age of sort of eight, nine years old. So it, it just, it was it's yeah. not strange to us. It's totally natural. That's and wild. We, yeah, when we formed a band, uh, 
it was a group of friends. We were all kids from the same area. We'd all hung out with each other, gone to school together, and uh, we'd known each other since, you know, I mean, Norman, our percussionist, I think I've known him since he was six years old. <laughs> so, wow. so, you know, we we ran on the streets together, you uh-huh. know, uh-huh. Um, and got up to all sorts of nefarious things that I'm not going to tell you about. I believe it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, when we formed a band, that was our social circle. That was our gang, basically, got it. saying we, we could do this, we could make music, you know. Yeah. And when we decided that we were going to form a band in the 70s, in 78, um, there wasn't a discussion about the kind of music we were going to play. We were only ever going to be a reggae band because mm. that was the music that we'd grown up on and had the passion for, that mm. we loved. You know, it was all we wanted to do was sound like a Jamaican reggae band. We never sounded like a Jamaican reggae band as it happened <laughs> because because we're English. Yeah. And, um there are all those other influences that there are subconscious, you know, that you don't, that you're not aware of, but they they make a difference and they, uh, you know, they inform the music that you play. So, I mean, you know, I was also into, I don't know, uh, Tamla Motown and mm-hmm. R and B. I also loved the Everly Brothers, mm, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because my auntie had been playing Everly Brothers records for as long as I could remember. Yeah. Uh, you know, from when she was a teenager. So I I heard Everly Brothers tunes all my life. So I was heavily influenced by the the harmonising of the Everly's, you know. Um, So there are all sorts of things that, that, uh, you know, informed the music we ended up with that weren't necessarily reggae. But what we wanted to be above all else was a reggae band. Got it. That's wild. Um, Yeah, the Everly harmonies are the greatest it's ever been. I, I think, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, let me ask you, this might be a little bit of a hard question. What I've always wondered, and I ask this of a lot of my guests who are known primarily for staying in a particular genre, I wonder if you ever get tired of playing reggae. I don't know how else to say it. And that's not a knock on reggae or your success or anything. I just wonder if when you're up there, I mean, you're the guitarist. Do you ever think, man, I'd love to insert more of like a solo in here. I'd love to do something other than, you know, these scratch riffs that I play in every song. And I know that that's probably a feeble-minded version of what reggae is, but you know what I mean? Do you ever get, do you ever feel like, man, I wish I could do something else? Never. Really? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I think it's um, from its inception, it was the music that I turned to, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, music is it's, it's, it's an emotional thing. It's an emotional communication, you know, between artist and listener. And for me, when reggae happened in my very early teens, it changed everything for me. I've always loved music. I've grown up in music. My father was a musician, um, but a very different musician, folk music musician. Um, but uh, when reggae happened for me, that kind of changed my life, you know. And it's it it was the it was the music that moved me most and always has been. Mm. I think it's it's the sexiest music. It's yeah. the best dance music it's uh it, it, it's 
it's just filled every part of my life. Yeah. And I've, okay. I've never, I've never had an interest in playing anything mm-hmm. else. Um, Good. I mean, we've, we have dabbled with other things. Mm-hmm. We've dabbled with, you know, dance music with mm-hmm. uh, Africa Bambata, and yeah. We, We've worked with other artists that aren't reggae artists. Well, you had like, the country album too. That uh, absolutely coming in from yeah. the storm, or I, I'm blanking on the name all of a sudden. But yeah, that Get, just a getting few over years the ago. storm. That's it. Getting over the storm. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's um, that's also because uh, a few of us had sort of fallen in love with a bit of country music mm-hmm. as well uh, over the years. You know, like people like Willie Nelson. Sure. Uh, and I would imagine maybe, you guys and Willie Nelson have. Especially one particular thing very much in common. That's absolutely true. And, yeah, I thought so. <laughs> and, and we have spent time celebrating that fact. I, I bet you have. I with Willie. Have. So, yeah. Um, yeah, met him at a truck stop once. <laughs> really? Where? <laughs> we sat on his bus somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And uh, he, he came and sat on our bus, actually. Nice. Yeah, that was... Um, but, yeah, people like that... Uh, turned me on as well you know sure. country music actually excited me but but the more political side of country music which you know um is not so publicized yeah. um and yeah we we were we were kind of enjoying different aspects of country music especially the more traditional country music and uh, our manager because we did we did a song with who um Robert Palmer. We did a... Yeah, a, I'll Be Your a, Baby Tonight. Love that not, song. Not that one. We did oh. another tune with him, uh, a Randy Travis tune. Oh. Uh, um, what's it called? Oh, no. Uh, on the Other Hand. Oh, right. And, uh, yeah, we recorded that with Robert years ago, and it never saw the light of day. And we, uh, we found it. We were trawling through the archives, and we found it. And... Um, his family, this was after he passed away, mm-hmm. uh, his family wouldn't allow us to release it with him on. What? So, uh, yeah. That I was would think pre- that would be a huge compliment to Robert. Well, it, that was meant to be, you know. Um, and we were going to put it on, on that album, the country album, the yeah. uh, Getting Over the Storm album. Um, and as I say, they, they didn't want us to oh. use it. So the song is on the album, but that uh, Duncan redid the vocals. On one hand, I count the reasons I could stay with you And hold you close to me all night long So many lovers' games I love to play with you on that hand, there's no reason why it's wrong. But on the other hand, there's a golden band to remind me of someone who would not understand. On the one hand, I could stay and be your loving man. But the reason I must go is on the other hand. In your arms I feel the passions I thought had died When I looked into your eyes I found myself And when I first kissed your lips was doing that track that uh, our manager said Why don't you do an album of country tunes? Yeah. 
but do them in reggae, obviously. Exactly. Yeah, you do, do it. You do bring your style you to it. Exactly. Just give them your yeah. um, your treatments, you know. Right. So that was how getting over the storm came mm. to be. Got just, it. just a fun experiment, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, a lot of people loved it, and a lot of other people <laughs> were confused. Uh, well, they gave us a lot of flack for it, and saying that we'd become a country band, and you no, know. No. But it was a it was a one off album, and yeah. you know. It was a lot of fun to do with a lot of tunes that we liked. Uh, you know, the other Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain is a, another one, which is, you know, the we still do that live. In the twilight glow I see her Blue eyes crying in the rain As we kiss goodbye and Because we love the song, you know, and sure. it, uh, the song that made Willie Nelson famous yeah, yeah. is oh, how I great. introduce it, you know. Uh -huh. And yeah, we're playing we're playing that on on the American tour because, Excellent. and and a lot of people are not aware that we even recorded it, mm -hmm. but but uh, in America they enjoy the fact that that we're doing it, you know. Yeah, that's why I wanted to make sure to mention it. You you don't know this, but we're going to sprinkle in little snippets of some of the songs or albums we talk about here so that the listener gets some context. So when right. I drop a, the name of a song or, you know, whatever, or an album or whatever, it's because I want to, it's a cue in, for me to put a little bit of that music in here. So people who may not have been paying attention to UB40 as much are like, oh, I really like that. I didn't realize that was there. You know what I mean? That's yeah, the yeah. idea. Right. Um, right. So let's go back. Uh, you know, Signing Off comes out. That's the first album. But I think one in 10 off of the second album was probably your first big breakthrough success. Would that be accurate? I'm the corner, no one's paradigm. I'm the job that never learns to read. 
The very first album we released um, a single, our first single off that album, uh, even before we'd finished the album, we we got the Pretenders tour with Chrissy. Mm. Uh, she took us on a sold out UK tour, and we'd only played I think thirty dates in total hmm. in our entire careers up to that point. Um, or in the previous year, I think we'd played 30, 30 gigs. Mm -hmm. And she took us around a UK sold-out tour where we did another 30-something gigs mm -hmm. in a few weeks, which kind of doubled our experience overnight. And uh, we released a single while we were on that tour, and it went top 10 in the UK. Which one? Uh, food for Thought. It was a double A side, food, food for Thought and King. As I say, that that was top ten, went top okay. ten uh, within while we were on the tour. We came came off the tour and we were number four in the charts. You know, so it, that was massive for us because nice. we we then rebooked on the strength of that one hit single. We rebooked the same tour that we'd just done with Chrissy uh, at the same venues and sold it out. No way, good for yeah. you. Boy, so she's we, been a great ambassador for you guys all along. I got you, babe. Breakfast in bed.
Now, I gotta ask, I mean, she, you know, she dated Jim Kerr, she dated Ray Davies. Did she have a relationship with somebody in the band? No. Oh, no. just friends, just no, like you. She, she saw us play in a, a, a little pub in London um, in, uh, before her tour. She was she was just in London and she there was a kind of, we had a bit of a buzz going, you uh -huh. know, um, and several record companies were trying to sign us at the time. And obviously somebody told her about mm. us and said, you should go and see. She was a reggae fan anyway. And somebody said, you should go and see UB40. They're playing, you know, locally. Mm -hmm. So she came to see us and that was, she came backstage and said, you guys are great. I want you on my tour. Oh, wow. So uh, that was how that started. And we just ended up being uh, really friendly with Chris. We got on great. Um, you know, we would we would spend. Um, I mean, honestly, no one had a relationship with her. Okay, okay. But we just had a great time with her and a couple of the guys at the band as well. We would right. just we would just party, you know, and yeah. and play her lots of reggae music and yeah. uh, and stuff. And you know, she just kept saying, "We should do a single. We should do a song together," you know. Mm. And we kept saying, "Yeah, yeah, we'd love to." And then we didn't see each other for a while. And then we would cross paths on, on the road, you know, and yeah. she still hadn't done that record, you know. <laughs> so right. finally, I think it took us five years, uh -huh. and eventually we did I Got You, Babe, mm -hmm. which <laughs> went number one in 20 countries, That's you know. wild. just was a complete shock to everybody we only did it for the fun of it you know yeah. because, because Chrissy kept saying you know with with your voices and my face we'll you know we could have <laughs> one you know who decided that that should be the cover who decided like let's do this song um well she claims it was her oh and Ali claims it was him my younger brother says it was one of the first records that he ever had mm. so okay. he suggested to her that we should do that and she said rubbish <laughs> I, I suggested it it was my idea so you know uh we <laughs> we're knows? not sure anymore <laughs> <laughs> who knows okay uh now i gotta ask rat in the kitchen is my very favorite ub40 album i've played that thing to death numerous times over my life what does rat in the kitchen mean
I get the feeling that that's some kind of a, that's based on some kind of Jamaican parable or whatever. I don't know. Or is it no, just imagery? What is it? No, it's based on the fact that um, Astro took a lyric to Ali hmm. and said, I'm, I'm working on this this song. Uh, it was a, a anti Thatcher song. Hmm. Um, it was Figures. it was a it was a song of hate for uh, for Margaret Thatcher, mm-hmm. and uh, Ali said to him, "Forget that! I've got a rat in my kitchen," <laughs> and he literally had a rat. Really, in... a literal rat. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he was trying to trap it, <laughs> and that, that sort of conversation just led to them working on uh, a lyric that was actually about the rat in in everyone else's yeah. kitchen was Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. So uh, that's what it it became uh, a lyric about Margaret Thatcher that okay. that tied in with the fact that Ali actually had a rat in his kitchen. That's wild. Um, <laughs> okay, the Live in Russia album is flawless. If you ask me, I love that. That's another one I've listened to a million times in my life. I believe I um, I was a little young. I mean, so I don't know for sure, but I don't think a lot of bands were playing Russia at that time, and yet you guys did, and you got to make an album out of it. How did that happen? Well, they, they simply uh, they invited us. Um, yeah, you're right. There were there were no bands touring. I think uh, Elton John had been invited previously, and he did. Uh, I think two concerts, one in Moscow, one in Leningrad, and that was it. But we were actually invited to tour. Uh, and I can't remember the towns we played other than Moscow and Leningrad. But, you know, we we did, um, we actually were the first band to tour there, as far as I know. Mm. Um, or certainly um, the first band that was, you know, internationally recognised. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it was a, it was a, a very big deal, and it was simply because they invited us. Hmm. Uh, I think they saw us um, as the acceptable face of uh, Western capitalism hmm. um, because because of our political stance. I think hmm. uh, because when we got there, we discovered that they wanted us to make speeches about the political content and explain what the songs were about, etc. Uh, and we sort of said well we're not doing that you know um we're we're going to play the same gigs we play anywhere else in the world uh it's up to it's up to people to make what they will of what we write you know mm-hmm. uh, our concerts are about music and we're a dance band you know and they weren't 
the first couple of concerts they didn't allow people to get up and dance oh. which which was um it was really just a breakdown in communication they weren't yeah. be, they weren't being nasty they thought it was disrespectful for people to get out oh. their seats so they were pushing them back in their seats and telling them to sit down and be yeah. be, be respectful you know yeah uh, i think we, i heard billy joel had that same issue maybe yeah. when he played there yeah yeah well we we uh we had a meeting we we just called a halt to everything and said, if you don't let people get up and dance, we're going home. Mm-hmm. And they said, what, you mean you want people to get up and dance? <laughs> and we, and we, yeah, that's what we do, you know. Yeah. Everywhere we go, we play to dancing, singing people. We have a party. That's what it's about, you know. Yeah. Because uh, the first the first couple of gigs were very sort of cold affairs. With The first 10 rows were a Politburo mm. or all in fur coats, sitting there and, and politely clapping, you know, between mm-hmm. each. Um, okay. But, but you know, that was uh, it. Was hard work, and it was it was a bit strange. It was a bit of sort of culture clash and communication breakdown. But we we got through it. Yeah. And in the end, once they allowed people up, it it was brilliant. It was just like playing anywhere else in the world. You know, we yeah. just had we had ten thousand people at every show, and it was. Um, it was a ball, and no doubt, if if you've heard the record, you've probably seen the video as well, mm. um, and you can see that there were there were, you know, there were good concerts. They were yeah. great, and uh, and you know, we had a ball, even though it was sort of minus thirty two degrees there. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, good. That was historic, and I just remember that album being a really big deal. You know, um, mm. at least to me in my circles, it was a really big deal. Um, I wanted to ask you to, uh, Jeffrey Morgan is probably my second favorite UB40 album. Yeah, and you're a proper fan because these, the ones you're citing as your favorites are not the ones that generally really? pick. No. Oh. Well, these You've are the ones that are fan to, to love Guns in the Ghetto, I think. It's a very Jamaican sounding album. In I fact, it, it. most of it was recorded in Jamaica. Really? Huh. Yeah. Yeah, those are, I think, those are my I think go-tos. I think you can tell there's a herbal influence on that music. <laughs> you might be right. I'm going to listen to it again and listen specifically for the herbal influence. <laughs> um, yeah, Jeffrey Morgan. First of all, and I probably looked this up once and forgot, who is Jeffrey Morgan and why did you name your album after him? Oh, that was somebody's awful bright idea. Really? Um, yeah. I have a feeling I know a, what you mean. Okay. It's, it's, um, it's a bit of graffiti. Yeah, it is. It, Literally a bit of graffiti that um, a photographer uh, uh, who was doing uh, a photo session with us, um, he had taken a picture of, it. I think it was, it was probably in, uh, it was in the, what's known as the Black Country in England, which is just north of Birmingham. Um, it's an industrial, that's why it's called the Black Country. It was heavily industrial in the uh, Victorian era. It's where all the factories were built. And it was just a bit of graffiti that somebody took a photograph of, uh, and it it actually said Jeffrey Morgan loves white girls. <laughs> Probably and, for the best, you didn't name your whole album that. Well, that was the record company said you can't you can't leave that one, and we said why not? That's why we want to use it because it's funny. Yeah. And uh, of course they they catalogued it as Jeffrey Morgan, but in fact it does say on the. Uh, on the cover where the graffiti is yeah. it, it does actually say jeffrey morgan loves white girls you're right oh my gosh <laughs> yeah when you i mean i don't know what do you consider 
a is there a UB40 creative peak? I mean, one thing. I, so let me let me rephrase that. One thing I like to ask, especially legacy artists like you, where I love every note that's ever been out there. I know that you guys don't like to get asked what your favorite songs are, but are there moments you're particularly proud of? Are there moments where you're like, you know what? I really like Jeffrey Morgan and there's a song on there that no one talks about that I'm real proud of or whatever it is. Do you have moments like that, Robin? Um, I'm sh yes, of course. I'm sure, I'm sure there are, there are tracks that, uh, that I'm still very, you know, more proud of than others. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But your favorites change all the time. Do they? Uh, that you know the the songs that when you've got the kind of back catalogue that we've got, um, we're constantly looking to uh, revive a tune, um, you know, just to keep us interested and our mm -hmm. hardcore fans delighted. Mm -hmm. We like we like to you know drag a song out of the the vaults, mm -hmm. and and uh, very often that's your favourite of the time. Mm -hmm. because, it's been a you while. Forgot, you forgot how much you liked it, you know, right. so. You get into doing that again, you know. Yeah. But uh, there are, of course, periods um, where, as you say, the nineties was was um, was the glossy period, was the the sort of computer period. Yeah. Uh, a bit. I mean, there was there was a time when we stopped recording as a band. We did it a bit. It was a bit like painting by numbers, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. because we had our own studio and people would go in and spend time working on tracks individually and alone, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so we weren't playing as, together as a band anymore. So that period, for me, is probably our, our least creative or least productive, um, even though um, probably our um, most successful financially yeah. and commercially are the uh, Promises and Lies, mm -hmm. uh, which, which of course had... Uh, kind of falling in love which was not on everywhere very successful album um and a very popular album and mm -hmm. still has tracks on it that people love but i love uh, that album too it's just a different 
you, as you mentioned, you're sort of entering sort of a new phase or a different mm -hmm. chapter of your career. I love yeah. it for what but it I, is I, as well. It's just different. I think that, that um, very often, you know, your most favorite is the latest as well. Mm, you know, that's true. Because it's new and you're still excited about it and mm -hmm. you haven't taken it to your fans because... You know, I mean, I love working in the studio. I still get a buzz out of making new music, but but the big buzz, the real buzz, is finding out what your fans think. You know, mm -hmm. is to take it to them and get a reaction. Mm -hmm. um, I I honestly believe. I'm sure everybody says this, but I honestly believe that this is the best album mm. we've done for many years. I would agree. Yeah, because it sounds so fresh and so like. Mm -hmm. what we were doing in the 80s, which is what we were aiming for. Mm -hmm. So it feels like, you know, we've, it's, it's all, you're all striving to do the perfect album. I'm not saying it's a perfect album, but it's close, you know, yeah. it, it's close to, to what we were trying to do. So I'm, you know, I'm particularly proud of this album at Good. the moment. But there are also, uh, I, I love um, Sing Our Own Song. Oh. Which that's you know, my favorite. Yeah, that's my favorite UB40 song. I, I'm going to play that song at the very end as when we go out of this interview. And so I was kind of saving it. But that's a, that song is amazing. Well, it's uh, it's one of my lyrics. Uh, is it? So, I'm, oh, so I'm, for you. I'm very proud of it, you know. Yeah. And uh, it also turned out uh, how I envisaged it, you know, how yeah. I imagined it. Um, I was very involved in the uh, the production of that track because I had an idea for it. You know, I, I, I had a uh, uh, I had an idea of how I wanted it to be. So I was, you know, I was very instrumental in that uh, in the production of all the vocals and mm -hmm. getting the girls in and singing the African type oh. of chants and stuff. You know, so for me, that's uh, that's as one of the tracks that you know is as mm -hmm. close to. Uh, how we wanted it as, as possible. So I'm still very proud of that. Also, of course, the, the lyrical content, yeah. uh, you know, uh, playing that song in South Africa oh. after, after observing the cultural boycott for the first 15 years of our careers mm -hmm. um, and having Mandela out as president and uh, apartheid finished uh, and going there and singing that to... Uh, football stadiums, 70,000 people a night we were playing mm -hmm. to there. Uh, it just brought it all home how much uh, that song meant to people, you know. They, yeah. were, singing, they were singing the words back to us. Um, and to have 70,000 people uh, singing your song back to you mm -hmm. is uh, singing, singing, singing your... your own, singing your own song. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh. That's, a, that's a, a, a goosebump moment, you know. That's uh, something that I'll never forget, and of course, it, that stays with me every time we sing that song. It's uh, it, it. it just makes me feel uh, special every time I, I sing that song. I'll be honest, I I have goosebumps. You telling me this all over my body. <laughs> I love that. It's your masterpiece. It's the UB40 masterpiece, if you ask me. And so, I love that it was as satisfying to you as it is to me to listen to that. Um, let me talk about live stuff for a minute. Okay. As I mentioned, there's, you know, unfortunately, there's some drama we should at least touch on, uh, unfortunately. I saw uh, Allie and Astro and Mickey here in Denver, where I live, um, mm -hmm. probably two years ago, I think. In fact, it was almost two years to the day. Yeah. And I don't, 
I don't have a stake in this. I'm not on anyone's side. I don't even really know what's at the heart of all of this stuff. But I will say that I was kind of disappointed in the show because there was this, there was a feeling, it was a little lifeless. It felt like someone could have easily just pressed a button and played the backing tracks to every song without any like spirit or actual live playing. You know what I mean? Well, what what would you expect? You know, they're, they're, a, they're a bunch yeah. of session musicians. You yeah. know, but the 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 trouble is, it, you know, if if you're just an Ali fan, then I guess it doesn't matter who the musicians are. Mm. But if you're a UB40 fan, mm-hmm. then you're not getting the band. You're yeah. getting the lead singer with a backing band, mm-hmm. and you know that's that's almost like karaoke. It's mm-hmm. almost like a tribute band you know um it kind of felt that way i i was well, disappointed you're not the first person to tell me that really oh man of course of course it's yeah. uh you know the shame is that uh that he decided to leave in the first place um but that was his decision you know uh in uh, what is it 11 12 years ago he decided that uh he wanted to go solo and that was what he did uh and unfortunately, that kind of backfired on him mm-hmm. because he thought, I think, that um, he would take the UB40 audience with him. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he did take a percentage of the audience mm-hmm. with him, but nothing like the audience he thought he was going to take. Yeah. And it it all kind of collapsed on him, you know. He, yeah. he I think he cancelled the first two UK tours that he booked um, through lack of sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Sure. So it became difficult for him until he hit on the idea that he was going to call himself UB40. Right, right. Uh, so that was what he did. Uh, and he also um, convinced, oh, I don't want to say bribed, mm-hmm. but convinced Astro to go with him yeah. after after five years of Astro saying how... Uh, what a breath of fresh air it was to be without Ali after, mm. you know, after his ego left. Yeah. Uh, Astro then went and joined him. Yeah. Uh, and, I, then uh... they, and then they decided to, to uh, that they were going to call themselves UB40 mm-hmm. and sell themselves as UB40 mm-hmm. uh, around the world, which is what we've been fighting now for the, for the last at least five years. We've been... Um, because it, it was only when Astro joined him that they then claimed that mm. they had a right to the name. Got it. Uh, bef- before that, Ali was using his own name. Yeah. Um, but oh, uh, yeah, we've we've had uh, an ongoing court case now to stop them using the name. Uh, but it gets very difficult because as 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 much as we spend getting him, mm-hmm. uh, trying to get him into court, he spends uh, even more <laughs> keeping it out of court. What a mess. Uh, you know, and it's, I, yes, it's most unfortunate and, and most unpleasant, and there's no need for it, really, yeah. if, he, if he just stopped using our name. But uh, a, a judge has decided that there is a case to answer, uh, mm-hmm. that he has a case to answer. So eventually we're going to get, uh, we're going to get our day in court, and eventually um, he'll have to stop using the name. Yeah. Uh, but for now, you know, we're just... This is why we haven't been in America for so long. Is because he's been coming here, as you say. You saw him yeah. in Denver, you know, using yeah. using the name, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of people have 
have been coming onto our website and our mm-hmm. Facebook page saying, uh, we just saw you in, in Denver mm-hmm. and uh, we were very disappointed, you know. Yeah. yeah. And where, where was the rest of the band, etc.? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a shame. Yeah, it's sad. But, you know, in actual fact, he was... He was ready to leave anyway, and it, it wasn't a lot of fun anymore, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, for for several years before he left, it wasn't a lot of fun. Uh, we were just going through the motions, really, and I think people could tell. Uh, lots of people were saying to me, what's wrong with Ali? Why, you mm-hmm. know, why isn't, why, why does it look like he doesn't want to be there? And yeah. I would say, because I think he doesn't want to be there. Wow. So, you know, it was... Uh, it was getting difficult, and when he left, we were we were kind of bereft, and uh, mm. it was traumatic. But in the end, uh, I had another brother I could mm-hmm. uh, take out the cupboard and dust off. <laughs> yes. And um, in the end, it 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 was reinvigorating yeah. because when we did the first show with Duncan, uh, after I'd spent a few months uh, going through, you know, he had to learn. Uh, 30 odd songs in a, in a couple of months and learn them learn to do a good job of them you know yeah, um, yeah. that was it, was it was pretty scary but uh, the vast majority of the fans just took to him immediately um, uh, and accepted him you know yeah. and accepted the band as it is now yeah. and obviously he's been with us for 12 years now so right. you know he's still the new boy but uh, <laughs> right. well, you know, we he always will be, but uh, sure. but you know it's it enabled us to keep. Obviously, he's not Ali, and he's not doing an impersonation of Ali. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's my brother, right. and we still have we have the same sort of tonal qualities, a bit a mm-hmm. bit like a, a BG or an Everly. Right. Good know? point. Good uh, point. Yeah. What was so he doing it prior to, you to keep the standard of UB forty? Yeah. Sorry. What was he doing? I mean, I don't think he he wasn't. A, in fact, I read somewhere or heard he was a spoon player. Was he even a musician? What's the story there? <laughs> um, well, he's played the spoons since he was a child. Okay. Um, um, but he actually, for fun, he registered himself with the BBC um, as a spoons player. Oh. And with the musicians' union. Instead of instead of putting himself down as a vocalist, he put himself down as a spoons player in the musicians' union. That's great. Uh, because because somebody told him that the BBC were looking for a spoons player for some particular thing, so he went and registered with the musicians' union as a spoons player, and then went to the BBC. Wild. Uh, and uh, he got the jobs. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, whatever it takes. You know. Yeah, but that was just a one-off thing, you know, and it was more for fun than anything else but yeah. uh, duncan has been um uh, he's been a jack of all trades he's done many many different things he's been a croupier oh uh, he, interesting he opened he he went and opened the uh the first casino in barbados really? uh, he worked in a fish and chip shop in australia <laughs> uh He's done all sorts of wild things. He's been he's been an acting extra in several things as well. Really? Huh. Yeah. So he's been in a few a few um, series in uh, on British television. Okay. He's also been a singer on and off all of his life mm. as 
Uh, I mean, the three of us sang together as kids, always have done. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, on YouTube, there's a, if anyone cares to look it up, there's, there is a, um, a film of um, the three of us, me, Duncan and Ali, singing vi- Village Ghetto Land. Really? Would you like to come with me to Village Ghetto Land? See the people like their doors while Robert laugh and steal. Beggars watch and eat their meal from garbage cans. Broken glasses everywhere. It's a bloody scene. Killing plagues the citizens unless they own police. Children play with rusty cars. And it's, yeah, we did it for a for a British uh, TV show called The South Bank Show because it was a song that we sang together as kids. So. Uh, huh. They said, "Oh, would you do it now?" And we did, and they filmed it uh, in our studio. So interesting. Uh, that that shows that you know we've been singing together all our yeah. life. Yeah. But also because, as I said, my father was a folk musician. Um, Duncan sang with him mm-hmm. on and off for years. Um, so he wasn't uh, he, he he wasn't new to performing, just new to performing. Uh, on the scale that he does now, you yeah, know. Yeah, got it. Okay, it makes so, sense. Well, he sounds great. I mean, I love, uh, I especially love "Labor of Love" four. I think that's a great album, and um, as are the other ones. But I've got to tell you goodbye, babe. But I don't want to see you cry, babe. fits right in you know it's not distracting yeah. or it's not ruining the experience at all he fits right in and he sounds great you know and he, write, he writes good political lyrics as yeah. well uh, yeah because two two of the songs on the new album are, are written by duncan so excellent uh, so yeah he's fitted right in and in fact he should have been in the band when we started mm. he uh, i, I actually I begged him to be because I wanted the three of us to be mm-hmm. singers. You know, I wanted the three of us to sing. And I was saying, you know, if, if the three of us, the, the harmonies will be brilliant. You know, we'll be, we'll be, you know, the, the Bee Gees of reggae. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but he just, 
he just thought it was never going to happen. Yeah. Because you know it was it was a kind of shot in the dark, and none of us played our instruments. We were we were going to treat it like a job, and five days a week sit down and learn to play together. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and he just thought that that was too much pie in the sky you know he said it's never going to happen is it and yeah. i was going of course it will of course it will and he just went yeah i've got other things to do <laughs> and so you never know for a while you know and then yeah. the next time we saw him uh we were a band and he kind of missed the boat you know so uh-huh. I, I think he's always uh you know he's always regretted it because he could have been in the band from the sure. beginning sure but you know he's enjoying it now and uh, it, it, you know, it's a, it's pretty unique that he got the opportunity to join a band he should have been in thirty years earlier. You absolutely know? true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I okay, we're we're coming up on the. Are you doing okay? Am I bothering you? Do you need to I'm run fine. or anything? Okay, I'm fine. I'll just keep you a few more minutes. I, Rob, and I just your questions uh, are fascinating, John. <laughs> oh, good. I love you guys so much, and I hope that that's obvious here. So you're. This is. Um, I hope this is a, you know, better than the usual run-of-the-mill interview. That's oh, what yeah. I'm going for here. Yeah. Okay. You haven't asked me what color my, fi- my favorite color socks are. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Um, I did want to ask you, though, specifically about, I'm guessing, you know, we've lost Ranking Roger recently, and I'm guessing you may have interacted with him over the years. I loved him so much, and that band, and I had him on the show. Tell us about Ranking Roger. man. Was I Tell yeah. me a Ranking Rogers story. Oh, I could tell you many Ranking Rogers stories. I know him well, uh, or knew him well. Um, but probably the most interesting to your listeners, and possibly you as well, mm-hmm. would be that uh, he interviewed myself, Brian, and Jimmy uh, for a program that he was doing. Uh, he was making a program. I, I don't know who it was for. I can't remember. But he interviewed us, and uh, he admitted on this program that that he desperately wanted to be in UB40. Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Because, uh, when um, I mean, we knew the beat very well because they came from the same place. They're from Birmingham, the mm-hmm. same streets we we grew up on. You know, um, and we've known Roger since he was a teenager um, and he used to come to our shows and he would, he used to, he used to get up and do a, a little toast on our, uh, in our numbers and stuff. Mm. He was, he was, uh, he was desperate to be in the band. Wild. And we never invited him to be in the band. Mm. And the next time we saw him, he was in the beat. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it oh, was, man. I mean, our, our careers were kind of running in parallel, you know, yeah. the, beat, the Beat and us, we saw each other a lot uh, in Birmingham. And then when they got success and we got success, we saw each other a, a lot on the road, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, uh, I love them. And, and the Beat were another, the Beat and the Specials and you guys, those were transformative bands for me when I was a kid. Totally opening my mind to what the I'm a I'm a white kid Mormon kid growing up in Salt Lake City Utah and to see to hear this kind of music coming from these people on the other side of the world was massive to me yeah. and it shaped me for the rest of my life it shaped my my 
my taste in music. It shaped my worldview. It all of it, you know, the uh, yeah. an appreciation of diversity. It came from you guys, you know. It was That's huge. great to know. That's great to know. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to know. This is. I only got a couple questions left. I, I love talking. One thing I love asking with people like you who've been at it for so long and been successful, if it were all to go away, what would you miss most? And let me tell you, uh, I asked that question of Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull once, and he gave my very favorite answer ever. He said, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it's what he said. At the end of a show, when he goes back to his hotel, he strips off all his clothes he lays on the bed, drinking a beer, watching the news. And he said, if I, if it were all to end, that's what I would miss. I would miss being able to do that. And I'm wondering, Robin, what is there something like that that you would miss? Well, I don't really understand that because if, if, if it were all to end tomorrow, being in a band, then what would stop you being able to lie naked on your bed drinking beer. No. <laughs> I never thought of that. Uh, you could do it every night if you didn't have to get up and sing for a... That's, <laughs> for a, that's great. The thing I would miss would would be uh, the relationship you have with the audience. Mm. Um, that's, that's the thing that keeps you going. Mm. It's not just making music that I love. It's taking that music back to your audience and getting a reaction. For me, that's what music is all about. It's it's about live. It's about the relationship between you and the audience. And and as I said earlier, it, it's it's an emotional communication and um, you're giving it out. You're giving everything you've got mm -hmm. on stage to, musically and emotionally to an audience and they're giving it back mm -hmm. and that's what it's all about for me is that to and fro mm -hmm. between you and the audience and if it all ended tomorrow then that's what you wouldn't have you know mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. to not have that to me that's the greatest drug that's yeah. that is you know that's better than adrenaline it's mm -hmm. better than anything else it's it's what feeds me it's what makes me want to get up in the in the morning you know yeah yeah it, it's what keeps me going it's what keeps me touring it's why i can't see us stopping because yeah. uh even if even if we we cut down and did uh you know a lot less as we get older which eventually i guess we'll have to do mm -hmm. um We'll still want to go out on the road. We'll yeah. That's what we've done for forty years, and we we love it, and yeah. we love it because there's no substitute for it. Mm -hmm. So, if, mm -hmm. you know, if it was all to end tomorrow, what I would what I would miss most is it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, okay. You be you guys being in in uh, on tour in the states. I'm curious if there is a particular you got. You mentioned you guys hadn't been through here for a while. Is there a particular thing you are most excited for? Is there like a restaurant in Philadelphia <laughs> that you love, that you've been craving for years? Or, you know, there's a record store in Des Moines or there's a whatever, there's a bar in Tallahassee, whatever it might be. Is there a thing or a site or a land, something that you are most excited to see or do while you're here? 
I don't want to sound boring, but but not really. Oh, okay, uh, okay. Because for me, it's about the gigs. Yeah. You know, okay. I've stopped. I've stopped being a tourist. Really, mm. I I don't. Um, I mean, you know, in in the old days, we would we would be looking for somewhere to party. We'd yeah, be looking true. for, uh, you know. Yeah an invite to a club and of course we still get those we just don't tend to go to them uh-huh. very often you know right. uh, because i'm no spring chicken anymore uh-huh. and i have, i have to try and save everything for the show you know yeah. uh, traveling takes it out of you we we spend you know we just did a 10 hour drive to get to here and i'm not even sure where i am <laughs> somewhere in florida you know uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't tend to go out in the daytime. I don't tend to go looking at landmarks anymore. Okay, you know, you've I've, done it. I've seen the San Francisco Bridge. I've been up. I've been up the um, Empire State. You know, right. right. We've done all that. All all the amazing things. All the all the landmarks, the okay. Grand Canyon, and you know, uh-huh. and a bit and have been doing that. You know, year after year after year. But now I tend to travel get to the hotel and get ready for a show, you know, okay. and, and sleep the rest of I the bet, time. I bet, yeah. <laughs> um, what about you personally? I mean, are you married? Do you have kids? Anything like that? I have two children. Uh, I'm not with their mother anymore. Okay. Uh, but um, my son works for the band. He's, oh. uh, he's in charge of our social media, mm-hmm. uh, and he's traveling with us now. He tours with us. Um, and... All of all of the hardcore fans know my son Matt, um, because he he's he's there taking pictures of everybody and everything and filming and uh, he he he's in touch uh, in control of of all of our social media everything we do okay uh, whether it's you know Twitter Instagram Facebook whatever it yeah. is he's running it um, so okay yeah I have a I have a son and a daughter Good. Uh, well, my Matt- if you're listening, Matt, we want you to share this with the UB40 fans, please. Let them know this is out there. Um, he will. Okay, he will. Good. Don't you worry. Good. Um, okay, last question. But I'm, Can I just say, because yes, I'll, be, I'll be shut otherwise, that uh, I am in a relationship. Oh. Uh, uh, I am in a, uh, which is about to become a, a civil partnership. Oh, okay. So, uh, which, you know, is a modern day marriage. Yep. Got it. Okay. Um, and is she back home in England somewhere or is she on the road with you? No, no, she's back. She's back in England. Okay. Uh, she runs her own business, a very Good successful one too. Great. So, uh, yeah, we're, Good for you. we're, we're very happy Good. living in the countryside. <laughs> Good. I'm happy for you. Okay. Last question. 41 years of this, when you think back, maybe you don't have a story, but when you think back over your career and you just think, I can't believe the places I've played, the people I've met, the things I've been able to do. What is one of the just your favorite stories, your favorite memories when you just think, I can't believe that happened to me? What uh, what would it be? Meeting a hero, playing a show, writing a song, hearing a song, whatever it might be. Is there well, something that rises to the top? There are so many. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you know, a very successful 40 years uh, selling a hundred million albums, you get to meet a lot of famous people. I bet. You, get, you get to go a lot of fantastic places. Um, the things that probably stick out most for me, I've, I've already mentioned, um, 
was going to South Africa, mm -hmm. um, especially after observing the cultural boycott and especially with Mandela being uh, out of prison mm -hmm. uh, and becoming the president was was massive for us to go there. And we still hold the live record in South Africa. We played three nights to 70,000 people oh a night. Oh, gosh. Um, wow. And that's never been equaled uh, by, by many different performers who've, who've gone there. Mm -hmm. uh, including Michael Jackson, you mm -hmm. know, we outsold Michael Jackson. In oh South my gosh! Wow, <laughs> wow! You know, so um, as I say, that was a, a real goosebump moment mm -hmm. going there. You know, but uh, there are there are so many uh, playing a sold out Madison Square Gardens with a number one record. Mm -hmm. You know, um, being inducted into the Maori Nation in New Zealand. Oh wow! Uh, um, yeah, we're honorary Maoris. Um, wow. You know, yes. uh, yeah. the Maori nation loves reggae. Um, I believe it. And we have a fantastic following, uh, well, everywhere in the South Pacific. We've yeah. been to all of the islands, you know, like uh -huh. Fiji and Tonga, etc. And, uh, you know, a, th a third to a half of the island has turned out to greet us, you know. That's great. It, uh, it's a bit like being royalty, you know, Good. to have, have moments like that uh, is, is very special. Mm -hmm. Meeting individuals kind of pales in comparison. Mm. Uh, but I've, I've met many very special people over the years. Um, I don't particularly want to single any one person. Okay, okay. You know? that's okay. I was but, just curious. Uh, yeah, I went to a Sting concert in uh, New York, uh, Radio City. Um, and we did quite a few gigs with the police mm. in the very early 80s. In fact, the first time we came to America was supporting the police. Mm. So uh, okay. I've always, always kept a good relationship with Sting. Uh, and, yeah, we, we went to the, his show at Radio City, went backstage to say hi. He greeted me like a long-lost friend and hugged mm. me and then introduced me to Stevie Wonder and Jimmy Cliff. Oh, my gosh. So, <laughs> Whoa! That was a pretty good night. <laughs> that would do it. That would do it. Man. Well, look, Robin, I uh, I just love you so much. I am so grateful for every note you guys have put out in this world. I love all of it for different reasons, but I love all of it. And uh, I am so grateful you gave me some of your time. It was an absolute pleasure, Don. I wish I wish it was all this easy and so pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, this is, you know, this is 40 years. Well, 35 maybe, but of just, you know, a pent up questions and curiosity and love. And so anyway, yes, thank you for all you've done. Absolute pleasure, man. Uh, okay. Listen, I hope you're gonna come and say hi when we're around your end. I hope so. I don't think you're coming through Denver on this on this leg of the tour, but I'm hoping the next, you'll be here soon. You haven't been here in a while. We're not in Denver. I don't uh, think so. I just looked. I really ought to look at the schedule. You should, because well, you know weed is legal here, and I know that you know. I know that's a. You guys love that. Yeah, except I stopped doing that a few oh, years back. Yeah. Okay, I don't imbibe. <laughs> I just assumed you did, but anyway. Um, oh, there's, there's still plenty in the band that do. Yeah. I thought so. There you have it, Robin Campbell. That was huge for me, guys. I love this band. And look, let me tell you, if you are. If you've never paid much attention to UB40 or you were a fan for a while and you fell off somewhere or you prefer one 
era of the band to another, or you don't really know where to begin, or they've never been your thing, or whatever. If you heard something in here that made you curious, tell me, and I would love to give you some guidance on what to listen to and where to go. There is so much rich music in this, this band's history. Uh, also, I know that there are two sides to every story. I'm sure that Ali has his point of view on all of this. I don't have a stake in this. I just love these guys and I love the music. I've actually tried to get Ali on here a few times over the years and I've never successfully been able to even find him, I don't believe. Or if I did, I've sent him emails and never heard back. I would love to hear his story too. But uh, anyway, it's a shame that these things go on. But if you want to capture them at the 40th, 41st, I guess, anniversary tour, get on their website, get on the Facebook page, check it out and see if they're playing near you. If they're not now, they probably will be soon because this tour is going on for a while. And as I said, For the Many is fantastic. Speaking of fantastic, as promised, I want to close it out with what I consider to be the UB40 masterpiece. This is Sing Our Own Song. This song is incredible. Just as Robin said it was, it is. It is fantastic. And it's a little longer, but stay to the end because it's got that thing that I always love. It's got black ladies singing back up. There's nothing better than that. Now, the next few weeks, uh, next three or four weeks, barring any kind of surprises, which there have been a lot of time-sensitive surprises popping up lately, if they don't, the next three to four weeks are going to be primarily indie alternative bands from the 80s and 90s. Okay, next week's guest is probably going to be a member of one of the best shoegazer bands ever. And uh, so yeah, I think that's where we're going to go next week, barring any surprises. A huge thanks, as always, to my right-hand man, Jan the Man Makevich, my partner in crime. Thank you, buddy, for all that you do. And if you guys are new to the podcast, go into the archives. Hopefully this got shared with the UB40 community. Hopefully you guys like this conversation. You want to hear more. We've done almost 300 of these. Go into the archives and see if there's other bands in there that you like. Uh, I believe the Ranking Roger episode was around number 33 or something like that. Somewhere in the 30s. Anyway, that's one of my proudest moments, to be honest. Uh, but check it out. You can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. We will be back next Tuesday with another episode. Thanks, everybody. We love you. <laughs>